Welcome to Recruiting Daily's Use Case Podcast. Live from Sherm Talent, a show dedicated to the story that happens or should happen when practitioners purchase technology. We're pulling back the curtain and asking the hard questions. It's what we do. It's what we do. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the Use Case Podcast. My name is William Tincup, and today I'm joined with Kristen and Marcus from HireUp. We're going to be learning about the use case, the business case for HireUp. So why don't we start with introductions. Kristen, why don't you introduce yourself, and Marcus, why don't you introduce yourself and then HireUp. Sure. Uh, well, my name is Kristen Magna. I am the managing partner of advisory services for HireUp. We're a boutique consulting practice based in the D.C. metro area. I'm Marcus White. I am an educator and also a researcher. Um, I'm in the Washington, D.C. area as well. Awesome. And you said boutique consulting firm. So when we go into that, what type of consulting do you all do? So we've been primarily focused on diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility over the last two years. So I actually started the practice in uh, late April, early May of 2020. Right as we were. Good time. <laughs> good time. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, you know, it's... Um, Actually, it was good timing. I, it was good yep. timing for the business. Um, and, you know, we like to think of ourselves as social architects. And so it's a really good time to be thinking about how we re-architect our workplaces, which also has a lot of the diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility conversation embedded in it. Although... Interestingly, a lot of organizations have sort of put that on a shelf. It's an initiative or a program. And right. so what we really focus on is how does that get embedded into the ethos of the organization and also be a part of how business decisions and business practices are formulated. Right. It's funny because I've looked at diversity, inclusion, belonging, equity, equality, and accessibility for a long time. And I haven't found anyone that's against it. On record, at least. I haven't found someone yet, and I've traveled a lot. I haven't found someone that says, yeah, that's a bad idea. That's a horrible idea. So my question, start with you, Marcus. What are the objections that y'all see? What, 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 why do people don't do it? I mean, they won't say no, and they won't say that's a horrible idea. I get that, because that's just like saying that, you know, the handicapped are terrible people. Like, that's just not going to happen. Well, <clears throat> kind of based on what we were talking about uh, during our presentation earlier, is that we're still managing on the same foundations that we started managing on 100 years ago, because it was proven to be successful. We built gigantic automobile empires all around the world based on that assembly line mentality. If the worker doesn't want to be there, we have to closely manage it. And that anytime something becomes strange, we get nervous. But this is how I got into my research, was discovering during COVID, I was living out in a sailboat. My classroom became me living on a boat teaching history, but then I started looking at around the area, and I said, well, there's a lot of history on this river. So the classroom transformed into something different, but it was me and my Speedos, so <laughs> things had to change on that level. But it started me thinking, well, what brings about organizational success? Because now I'm more engaged in my job but I'm more engaged into teaching. I'm thinking about my lesson plans. How does it involve the, the, the 
actual community because this is a school that's on this river. That's right. So we have to open up our minds to something that's difficult and uncomfortable and becoming more familiar with those uncomfortable stages, but understanding that there's a number of people who are in our workplace that are living that every day. They aren't showing up at the celebrations and the award shows because nobody thought that they were necessary to be there. That's right. They weren't included, weren't even thought of. They weren't in thought, nobody thought about what they could do. Right. So when you, when you again, you, you're preaching to the choir, when you talk to most of your clients, I would assume that they already kind of get it and understand the importance of it. I'm shaking my head, which nobody will be able to see, right? Right. So, so again, it's the objection response stuff. I know, I know that we've given lip service to diversity. We'll just stay with on the D. We've given lip service to diversity for 50 years. Yeah, I'd actually um, not prefer not to stay on the D because the D doesn't matter without the other pieces. And, and, you know, I do think that there are people who object to this. And those objections start to come out when you start having the equity conversation and you start having the inclusion and accessibility conversation Nobody's object, objecting to diversity. Right. That's what they're not objecting to because you know what? That's an HR problem. Let HR go hire more diverse people. Right. But when you start doing equity strategy work and when you start talking about how do we create an environment or a habitat, as I'd like to call it, right. that is equitable, that isn't that is unbiased so we're actually going through the process of looking for where bias is present in the organization in your technology in your uh in your processes in your programs um when you start talking about making fundamental shifts in what's expected of people in leadership roles and how they treat people in the organization how they mentor and how they sponsor people in the organization that's when they start to object because there's all of these fears that come out. Well, am I not? Am I not going to be? You know, am I going to be less valuable now? Right. Um, you know, are we going to have to uh, lower the bar because now we're, we've got to do things differently? So the the objections start to come out when people really understand what the work means. And equity work is hard because, in essence, it requires the dominant group to give up something. Somebody once likened it to setting the temperature in your house. So we, we have a thermostat in our house. We like to set the temperature at, at whatever that temperature is that makes us feel comfortable. And then all of a sudden you invite in a whole bunch of other people into your house from all over the world, and they live at a different temperature. And so as the person who owns the house, it's my house, I have a decision to make. Do I want to continue to just have myself be comfortable or am I, li- am I willing to compromise and give up a little bit of my comfort so that everybody can be comfortable? That's probably the easiest breakdown of that that I've ever heard. But it does require the dominant group to say, well, I'm going to have to give up some of my privileges and resources so that everybody can play the game. We're still going to play the game, We're still going to, but anybody can win the game now. And that's scary for people. Is that When you say scary for people... If you don't mind a pointed question, is that mm-hmm. scary for uh, white male people? I, I think I don't, I'm just pointing at I'm, I'm, you know no, just I wonder, uh, who's who's scared of this. It's the person who owns the factory. 
Is so it, I've lived all over the world. Yeah. And this is this is not about that. Okay. This is about the power structure. Got it. Right. Yeah. And it's the change. I got to change my entire factory for what? Right. I've been making money. It was great then. It's no different than I have four children. They're all adults. But eventually I had to come to them as I've learned and experienced. and says, hey, I made a mistake. I didn't realize this. And they were thinking, well, why don't you do the same thing that you did with this one? I says, do you want me to, to continue to make them the same mistake? Or do you want me to do something different? I realized when I did it with you, it was wrong. Now right. I'm correcting. Right. But that takes a humble person. And, and humility is not necessarily a trait that you see at the C-suite. It does feel good to be wrong, as well as we don't want to lose us. Right. So when you start thinking about, as we were saying in our presentation, is that think about, and, and my research, research is actually uh, indicating this, is that the success of the organization is based on the growth of the employee. This is how you grow your organization. Yep. And when you see an employee who can who has the freedom of saying, oh, I can live on my sailboat on the Potomac River. I'm going to sail up to, going to go to James, George Washington's house, and we're going to do class out here. I'm again in my Speedos, but look at where George Washington lived. He must have been on this river. And now the kids are like, wow, Mr. White is in his Speedos, but that's where George Washington lived. So it becomes more interesting and because you have a person, the whole Department of History grows because now everybody says, well, where else, where can I go? I'm going to go on a trip out of state and, a video there. You have to think about the individual. It takes a lot to stop thinking of yourself. You have to be a real parent. Stop thinking of yourself and saying that our family grows when I put more time into my into my children's growth. I love that. I love that. And I love that you attack the power as opposed to make it kind of myopically about one thing or another. I'm sure you run into more, you know, white male privilege than you do other things, but still. Power is power. Well, organizations are hierarchical. Yep. And wherever you have a hierarchy, you have a power dynamic. Right. And organizations are always going to be hierarchical. There's always going to be an owner or founder or CEO. There's always going to be that person who it's their first day on the job or they're the lowest man on the or woman or, you know, right. whatever, however they identify on the totem pole. But you can break down those hierarchies. Every, wherever you have a hierarchy, there's always a power dynamic. As soon as you have a power dynamic, you lose equity. Right. As soon as you lose equity, someone's on the better side of the line or the worse side of the line. Right. But we can break down hierarchies in our organizations by building community. Because your frontline workers have the answers. They're the closest to the dollar that you're putting in your cash register. And the challenge is that... Oftentimes, leaders get to a certain point in their career, and it's like the horse that won the race doesn't look back to see where the other horses are. They're disconnected. Right. So I think, you know, when it comes to white men or white people, there's a lot that we're not in touch with. We don't know about it. We haven't had to think about it. Um, But everybody needs to be at the table for this conversation. I think the challenge that's happened is that it has been uh, it's been a power struggle over the past two years. And this needs to be this isn't about one group, and it doesn't matter which underrepresented group it is, right. canceling out another. Right. This has to be a unified conversation um, in which we're trying to achieve solidarity. and as as long as there's this power struggle, 
and white people are still the dominant group. So white people have to be a part of the solution. Right. Everybody has to be at the table, but it has to be a conversation in which everyone can be educated about the fact that their lived experience is only their lived experience. I love that you brought up a community and uh, because it sounds like, or at least I translated that in my brain to culture and values, mm-hmm. what we've usually associated uh, as culture and values. I wanted to get y'all's take on a couple things. One is budget as it relates to programs that relate to the things that we care about, diversity, inclusion, equity, equality, and accessibility. Someone says they care about these things, but then you can look at their budget and they're not spending money on these things. So I want to get your take on just kind of when you first take on a client, maybe, you know, for the first time, maybe, maybe they've never been down this path. Maybe they've never spent money programmatically on these things. What's your, what's your suggestion? What's your way to kind of start them off on the right path of going, okay, here's how we, here's how we should look at budget. Yeah. It's, you go ahead. Well, this is part of this is that we were talking about in the presentation earlier is that it's transparency. Yep. And well, first though, you want to know how much do they really know and how much do they want to know, but being trans and that's by having you know, surveys, information intake from data from the, the employees but really understanding that they need to know. Because they, we gave an example earlier about the person who's in the cancellation department who has to go get manager's approval to cancel a subscription. And they have to do that all day long. They know that it takes two people to do their one job, and one of them is getting paid more than them. So whether you're being transparent or not, they're formulating a picture of what's going on there so you can help them by being transparent, giving them information. Right. They can make intelligent decisions like an owner now. Right. Right. Yeah. I would say that, you know, when, when I get started with a client, we're not thinking about, okay, what's the, what's the DEI budget going to be, right. right? So that comes down the road when the strategy is put together. Everything starts with a discovery process. At least that's our that's our approach right. in my practice. We start with a discovery process because that's, and that's in almost, it's talking to people. Okay. Sometimes it's talking to the it, to the individuals who are in the highest levels of leadership. That's a must because you have to see where people are entering the conversation. Right. And then you talk to people who are quite the opposite of that, or people who have been critical of things that are going on in the organization, or people who are from underrepresented groups and looking at what their experience is. But it's really dissecting the entire organization. It's looking at a lot of data. How do people move up, out, around in the organization? Um, What are you tracking? So there are a lot of things that companies do, and they don't actually really track I look at like learning and development programs or training programs. Right. A lot of organizations track completion of those programs, but they don't track who's completing the program. Right. Do we have women in these programs? Do we have minorities in these programs? Do we have people who have different abilities in these programs? And if we have leadership development programs, which should be in place to develop leaders, are we actually getting those folks into leadership roles? And when we have people from underrepresented groups, how are we being more intentional about making sure that those individuals don't get lost in the sea of everyone else, right? So 
We have to do a discovery process. We look at the intersection between people and all of the things that they have to interact with or touch or, you know, or, or use in order to perform at their best, in order to do what they need to do. So we start with the discovery process. A lot of times we calibrate that with an employee survey. Right. So getting feedback directly from the employees on how they're experiencing. Is that anonymous or is it, uh, is it not anonymous? So it, it's confidential. There's okay. a difference between anonymous and confidential. 100%. Oh, I know. <laughs> and we have a confidentiality threshold. Because oftentimes we're getting the data from the HR department so that we can slice and dice the data by a right. lot of different demographic right. components. So on our end, we know who those individuals are. That's why we say confidential. But right. everything is given back to the client in aggregate. So they don't right. know who Sandy, said what. Sandy said this. They Billy have no idea. That. Yeah. Good. Yeah, so we go through the discovery process. We calibrate what we think we're understanding with what employees are seeing, and then we start to put together the strategy. And once we know where we're headed with the strategy, um, most of most organizations want to diversify their workforce. But you have to look at how much hiring and turnover do you have. I mean, I have one client that has their average tenure is like 15 years. They're a small company. They're not hiring a lot of people. They're not firing a lot of people. So how do you diversify your leadership when you don't have people coming in or going out? Well, what they do have is a third of their workforce is boomer generation. So we're now looking at a five-year timeline. What do we do with those boomers? How can we leverage their intellectual capital? They have know so much about the organization before they leave to influence the younger generation of people. And how can we start to develop people to move into those roles? So every company is different. I love that. First of all, I love that on so many levels. So, Marcus, you mentioned transparency earlier. I wanted to get your take on what I've seen in kind of a, a movement with uh, diversity, kind of a, well, diversity, inclusion, equity, equality, uh, annual reports, where companies are kind of reporting back to the employee base, okay, here's where we are. Some of it might not be pretty. In fact, it's not going to be pretty, but here's where we are. What do y'all, maybe what you, maybe we'll start with you, but Kristen, I want to get your take but as really, well. Really, if you're going to listen to people, you have to be open to understand, and, and, and having them be open with you, with them being informed. So this is the beginning of what they, of what we all want. Nobody, I'm thinking of being in the Marine Corps, sometimes I didn't want to know what we were about to get into. <laughs> so just here, but, but really, it, but even in those darkest moments, we were trained to, this is what happens when those dark moments come about. So I'm no longer in Marine Corps, I'm no longer in shape, but I remember those lessons, and I remember who taught them to me. Those names are names that are etched in my brain because they are saved my life. This is no different in a corporate environment. We're not here thinking these people are married to corporations. And the example my colleague just gave is, you have a, a group of people who are in there for 15, 20 years, you got a bunch of younger people coming through. You have to first, let's be transparent, guys. Some of you want to get in these positions. You may want to go to other companies. So let's see how we can share the values of one another so that we can groom you to getting into this position. This is what our numbers are looking like, and we do want to improve. It's important to us. Let us be transparent. Right. And, and, and communicate. This is honestly that there's a generation, I'm looking at my, my daughters who have, I grew up. I grew up a certain way. It was a guy. It was a world that guys ran, and there was a 
a cold war going on. Right. And all of a sudden, my daughters were talking to me, and I kept waiting for them to be girls. Because that's how you insulted a guy. You throw like a girl, you run like a girl. And they turn, they just turn out to be really good humans. Yep. And I realized they have a different perspective on things. And it's valid. It's real. And all three of them have a different one. What in the world? What did Jackie Gleason teach me? You know what I'm saying? And I was like, if this is the case. But really, I... And then I started looking at everybody around. One of my daughters an ASL interpreter. I says, oh my gosh. Yes, it is something different. Everybody... And I have to start listening. And I have to sit here as an adult male, PhD, educated, lived and speak a bunch of languages and all this all around the world. I still have to sit there and say, wait a minute. I don't know how to say cookie in this language. Yep. I got to let them know, guys, I'm an idiot. And if you don't teach me, I'm not going to get what I want. You're not going to get what you want. Yeah, I must still be an idiot. It's, right. it's, it's my favorite phrase is I'm still a student of the game, you know, no matter where you are in your career. Did, did you have anything to add, Christine? Yeah, you know, there's, this is, we live in an instant gratification society. That's right. actually a bias. It's called expediency bias. So right. we tend to overvalue things that are close to us in time and distance. There is no instant gratification with this work. So shame, first of all, shame on the companies that out of the gate two years ago said, we're going to do these 15 things. And they never took even five minutes to look inside their organization and get to know their own organization and what was actually realistic for them to accomplish. Mistake number one. So, you know, this is a journey. It Once you get started on it, it, it's forever. And you have to manage people's expectations because you have on one side of the side, I'm going through this right now with a client. You have on one side of the, of, of the spectrum an employee who says, this is everything that I am. This is everything that I am as a human, African-American, young African-American woman. And then you have someone on the other side of the, of the spectrum in the same organization says diversity, equity, inclusion, um, because it's been so politicized and right. they, people don't even understand what the words mean. Right. It goes against everything I believe in. Right. These two people are working in the same company. They may even have to collaborate with each other. So this is going to be a process. And so the best thing that companies can do, much like what Marcus has said, is be open and transparent. First of all, before you go out and set goals, this is why we do a discovery process. Let's set goals that you can actually achieve. Right. And, you know, let's do it on a 10-year plan because it's going to take us time to develop people. It's going to take us time to, you know, a full cycle of transformation, even in real estate. A full real estate cycle of real estate takes 17 years. A full cycle of, of transformation is at least a decade. At least. So you have to go back and say, how many organizations have actually been doing this for 10 or more years? And that's given people that are humble and that want to go through the process. So, Absolutely. Um, Y'all, I could talk to you forever. Both <laughs> of you are so intelligent and so wonderful. I wish I'd have actually been attended your session, so maybe I'll see the recording or something. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having thanks us. Absolutely appreciate your time. Thank, thank you. you so much. Until next time. You've been listening to Recruiting Daily's Use Case Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform and hit us up at recruitingdaily.com.